Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. So welcome to this edition of The Mindful Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Hill, and I'm really excited today to have with me Richard Tanzma. T-A-S-H-M-A, Tanjma. And uh, oh my God, Richard is such a great guy. He's been around in the Mindful Coach Association since it started. And um, he and I have had a really nice rapport. And one of the really fascinating things about Richard, uh, besides his incredible radio voice, which you'll appreciate here in a minute, is his fascination and passion for internal family systems. And I just had to get him on the show to talk about why he thinks internal family systems, which is comes from a you know psychotherapeutic world and, and the world of therapy, what's the role of that in coaching and, and what his objective is and his passion to bringing that um, point of view and some of those skills into the coaching world? Did I get any of that right or wrong, Richard? You got that beautiful. You said that beautifully, Brett. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's great to be here with you and your audience. I'm very appreciative for the invitation. Thank you. Well, you're more than welcome. I mean, this the, the show is about helping coaches who are in the organization, the Mindful Coach Association, to, you know, let the world know about the great stuff that's going on. I'm so excited when I sit around and I listen to the to the stories of the various professionals in that group. They're so exciting and people are doing such incredible work. They're they're out there working with challenged populations and neurodivergence and immigrants and, you know, LBGTQ plus and uh, all all kinds of inclu- you know, uh, inclusive or uh, communities that need to be more included in the or- in the world, and then also we have areas people who are experts in certain areas we have people who are great with uh, horses and we have horse horse people we have people who do uh uh tarot and we have people who do astrology uh, and they do all these things very um very well and in, and also they bring a lot of they value mindfulness in their life and their work and when you and i were talking about you know what you're up to and all uh, your passions and and, and your expertise in internal family systems, um, you know, really shines out. So why don't, for the people who may not have heard about internal family systems, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and what they're, oh, we've got some sirens going on here, so pardon that. Um, so so for people who don't know, sometimes it's called IFS for short, internal family systems. What What is IFS and why should a coaching audience or you know, even a therapeutic audience care? It's a marvelous question, and I'll see if I can answer that in less than three hours. Uh, <laughs> the, the basic principle in IFS, which was created 40 years ago by, by a Ph.D. psychologist named Richard Schwartz, 
who is known in the community as Dick Schwartz, it's what he goes by, <clears throat> is a, it's a model of the human psyche. And it presumes that our, that our psyche is not monolithic, but rather is multiple in parts. And the, the, our parts play different roles in our life. Most of the parts are simply there doing their, doing their jobs. Like the part of me that knows how to turn on the computer and, and join you here for this conversation. <clears throat> and then there are other parts of us that because of experiences, as a result of experiences that we've had at one time or another in our lives, that most of, in most cases were not fully processed or to use a, a, a word in the vernacular, uh, di digested. We have energy that's held in our, that's held in limbo. It's one way to put it that we would, that we don't know what to do with. And those parts are holding on to those experiences and those energies. Can, and you, they, can you give me an example of what that might be like? Like, you know, somebody shows up and well, how, how do you know if you're talking to somebody that they're, that they're, you know, they're coming from a place where they're talking about a part of them that's got, what do you say, holding on to this energy? How does that work? Well, the, the way it usually manifests for most people is, I'll unpack, I'll see if I can unpack this in a, in a few words, through a collection of parts that are, that are acting as um, what we call protectors for the parts that are wounded or injured, that are holding mm -hmm. onto, that, onto that painful energy. Those so I'm going, to, I'm going to slow you down just a little bit, if you don't mind, because mm -hmm. um, just because it's, it sounds like we're talking about parts that come to the defense of other parts, right? Actually, so, it's a great question, and I'll, I'll clarify it like this, that the parts that are protecting are actually parts that drive our generally drive our outside, our outward behavior to, to prevent those other parts that are carrying those painful experiences from flooding us with emotions that we are not, that we're not prepared to, or really in a place to deal with. Okay. So, so, so to, an, ex oh, an example, an example of that can be um, anger and ex mm -hmm. expressions of anger that are beyond what seems appropriate for a context or a, or a mm -hmm. um, people being overreactive. Exactly, right. So when we see those types of behaviors, where they're like an outsized response, for example, put it that way, um, with respect to a stimulus, I don't want to say trigger. I'm purposely not using the word trigger. Okay. To a stimulus. It's not unusual that that is a a clue that there mm -hmm. is a there's a part acting there. 
Now, all we need right. in the world of IFS is any one of these clues when we're when we're tuned into it, trained for it, and tuned into it. All we need is one of those clues, and the person's willingness to at least show up with a bit of curiosity to begin to <clears throat> to deconstruct and unpack that process. And there's a there's yeah. a, there's a there's a flow for that. Yeah. So, um, so what I heard you say, if I can restate this just a little bit, just because sure. I need to for my own brain, um, <laughs> that, um, you know, you said like this unresolved kind of energy in a way. So it's like one way you can know about that is whenever you said there's, oh, there's too much energy. Like someone says something to you uh, uh, and, or someone says something to somebody else. and the, the result is, well, how could you say that? It's like over the top kind of comeback. Like, well, that isn't right. You don't get to say that to me. It's like, I, I, you know, it's like suddenly they're acting out yep. and it's disproportionate to the situation. Beautifully that stated. extra energy that's kind of flowing out of you all of a sudden or someone all of a sudden comes from this reserve store that's associated with this part. And, and, the, and the work that you're talking about is, understanding the relationship of who's what part of you is holding on to that energy and what's it trying to, to protect mm -hmm. right because there's the part that's like lashing out to kind of go push push away the experience and then there's another part that's actually the wounded part that is needs to be protected is I that would, yes is i that would say that's a that's a good uh, recap of what I've of what I've outlined so far. Okay, yeah. beautiful. Then there is one more in IFS. There is one more very important element to the psyche that warrants mention, and that is a core wisdom. I would say mm -hmm. is one way to put it. It's a core wisdom that we are all born with all of us, that knows how to heal the system mm -hmm. and knows how to interact in the context in which we exist and show up and function. I think of it as the, in, in my way of describing it, I think of it as the, the, the drop of God or the drop of the universe that animated me at my moment of conception. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's intense. That I can, that is always available. It's in my system. It's, you know, we yeah. usually think of it as being in our heart. It's in my system and it's right. always it's, accessible yeah, it's, to it, me. Right. You know, this reminds me. So, okay. So going back just a little bit, we're talking about the the part that's overreactive, that's defensive in this particular mm -hmm. scenario. Right. And then the part that's wounded. And then a deeper part that has the knowledge about how to be whole. Yes. With one caveat that that last element that I'm referring to we don't see that as a part. We right. see that as our core, and we, we refer to that 
in the vernacular of IFS, because we use pedestrian language, it makes it a lot easier. We refer to that as self with a capital S, S-E-L-F with oh, a capital the, S. Uh, the, the, big, the big self. The right. big self, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This reminds me of um, a principle I studied in Hakomi. And so these are related systems, Hakomi. And yes. So Ron, uh, Dick Schwartz and Ron Kurtz were colleagues. And both Correct. of these, uh, Ron Kurtz was the creator of Hakomi. Um, well, one of the creators of Hakomi, but primarily given credit with them being the main founder. Um, and in that system, which is a mindful somatic psychotherapy, is based on several principles. And I'm going to read one of them here because I just happen to have it at hand. And one of the principles is called organicity. And it's a, it sounds a lot like what you were talking about. And it, so it's sort of like one of these universal truths that you know, you can you can use. And so I'm a fan of language. You know, I like to I listen to these people who are using these principles because I, I want to hear how they say it, because I love I love it when it's well said. And this is a pretty good one. Um, now, organicity is a principle uh, that means that that assumes that when all the parts are communicating within the whole of a person, we are naturally self-directing, self-correcting, self-actualizing with our own innate inner wisdom. Now, in Hakomi, rather than imposing our own agenda, we support our client's organic unfolding towards wholeness and trust that this is the direction that their system will naturally seek. Now, this is taken from uh, Heiko Weiss, I believe it was, was the one who wrote this in, in one of the Hakomi manuals. And, um, it, you know, it it has within it the fundamentals of the kinds of things you were talking about, if I got that right, which is yes. that within us, there's this inner wisdom about how to unfold. And as facilitators and people who are trying to help other people in the world, a big part of our work is simply to support that and not try to impose it. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> yes. Just always, you're always very affirming. Correct. <laughs> so, how did you get? Um, how did you get involved with this whole world of? So, uh, uh, internal family systems, and then how did that turn into an interest in coaching? Okay, well, again, trying to keep this to less than three hours, the uh, <laughs> um, it's a circuitous story that begins forty years ago for me, and I won't tell you the I won't tell you the whole tale for forty years. But the beginning, oh, all, and on behalf of of our listeners, we appreciate that. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, the audience just let out a big sigh of relief and did and didn't reach for the stop button. Right. Well, hold hold on, he's got a Cliff Notes version, and it's, and yeah. it's worth listening. And, it's worth hearing. Yeah, if it's not if it's not short enough, Brett will edit it. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, when I was in my 20s, I graduated from university with a degree in biology. And I had, and I had already started a small business. And 
was really enjoying the work that I was doing, which was not in this field. It was it was technical work. I was I was a professional technician because I have, I also have deep interest in engineering. So, um, I had this small business, this small business, and I was as a person. I was miserable, even in my mid twenties. Mm. I hated the person I had become. Oh, that I was. I, I, I was in my heart. Mindfully, I'm, I'm sad to hear you say that. I was arrogant and obnoxious and difficult <laughs> to be around, and really socially incompetent. Mm, wow, and, that's harsh. And, and I was miserable. Mm. Uh, and. I thought, I can't live like this, mm. so I've got to do something about it. Fortunately, a friend, somebody who cared about me, turned me on to a, a workshop organization in California where I lived at the time, and that was the beginning of my journey. I see. And the, uh, that, that organization doesn't exist anymore, but for anybody who might be old and from California and know anything <laughs> about this, they might remember something called the Summit Organization and a, and a fellow named Paul Larson. So anyway, the I participated, I joined Summit and participated there in different capacities for several years, did a lot of growing mm-hmm. and aspired to being able to bring that kind of transformational work for to other people someday but i knew i couldn't i was incompetent at doing it at that point in my life mm. so i went on and did what i did as a as a professional until about 10 years ago and i'm in my mid 60s now so i was in my mid 50s so you were but you were happier then right? much okay. I, it, it yeah i just continued working on myself over the years and i could when I would see places where I could continue to improve myself or, or my dear spouse of now more than 30 years, uh, could point out to me that this was a place where I probably could, it would help if I would do something, if I would show up differently. I got good at making these changes for myself pretty easily without a lot of distress. Mm-hmm. And about 10 years ago, I, to make it long story short, I started to get a calling to to do something different, to leave my engineering life because the skills that I was really good at were becoming obsoleted in the computer space. And so I didn't want to start again from scratch. I thought, well, maybe it's time for me to put this stuff to use. And one of the one of the core places where that ground where that led me and grounded me was with a person named Russ Acoff, Russell Acoff, who was one of the founders of what's known as systems thinking. Mm-hmm. And Russ gave me a really important insight uh, in his teachings when he said, because I'm a systems guy, I'm a biologist, and I'm a systems right, guy. Right, exactly, a technical guy. And... <clears throat> right, and mm-hmm. and I and I heard him say that a system is not the sum of the parts; it is the product of their interactions. It is the product of their interactions. 
And that was a beginning of a turning point for me in my journey, was recognizing that distinction, which I knew intrinsically. And so I found my way into studying energy healing uh, and spent a year studying a, a modality known as Psych K, Psych K, which some people know. And at the end of that year, I started to think about coaching work. And that led me to uh, Bessel van der Kolk's really well-known book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. Which is a book about trauma. Yep. And I was captivated by The Body Keeps the Score. And in The Body Keeps the Score, there's a whole chapter about internal family systems. That's how I found out about it. And when I started paying attention to Dick Schwartz as a result of that, and he started talking about internal family systems and was talking about it in the same way, roughly, that Russ Acoff talks about systems, I was hooked. (laughs) I see. And, And I've never, and I've stayed here and haven't veered away since. That's really an amazing story. And I just want to like say that, you know, as I'm listening to you, the thing that catches my attention is we were talking about this organicity and this this mm-hmm. part of us that helps us to know how to be more whole. And, you know, early on, you started this, you, you like you, you had become somebody who you were not, a, you were not a happy person, right? You were being, and and you made a decision, I'm going to change. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change and then acted on that. So there's that part showing up like, I know this isn't working. I know I want to be better. And that's that part of us that I always use in my own method, the Mindful Cuts method, I, about what is it that, that there's an assumption that there's something in us that wants to be whole and wants to thrive and wants to grow, that there's this innate knowledge and urge to be more whole, integrated, and alive. And so the and I so what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is uh, thank you for listening to that and doing the work because it really matters. And and it, you know it stayed with you. You were like doing the original work, then you kept following that thread, you know, and going deeper and deeper. The whole time, and that takes a lot of courage. So there's a lot in that. We we have sort of very similar stories in a way. In the sense that I've also been the benefactor of so many great teachings, and I'm a systems guy, and I have a technical background, and uh, so there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, the overlaps wanna, are interesting. Now I wanted to ask you about um, your inspiration to do more. In terms of, uh, because internal family systems traditionally has been taught to therapists. And um, and and as I understand it, you're not a certified therapist. And uh, and so, and I'm not saying that as a judgment anyway, it's just a fact. And so consequently, right. you're doing coaching. And so what is your hope, intent, you know, uh, thoughts around internal family systems and coaching? There's probably two parts to that answer. The first is that Dick Schwartz himself, after decades of 
IFS being used in therapy, which it still very much is, it's very popular at this time, and there's a huge waiting list for people to, to get into formal trainings. Dick Schwartz wants to bring this beyond the therapy space and into coaching and into a broader awareness because it ultimately is a way of life not just it's not just a therapy it's a way of it's a way of living that's part of the answer another part of the answer is my choice and my journey about 10 years ago at in a conversation with a friend who was a ther was a psychologist a child psychologist that person suggested to me that I might want to uh, return to school and get either get a master's degree or perhaps even go on to becoming a PsyD, P-S-Y capital D, a doctor. It's doctor of psychology, right? Mm -hmm. And which is about practice. That's not about psychological study and research. That's purely practice. And I looked at that at the time and I thought, I don't want to do that. And I, the reason I chose to not do that was not only because of the, yeah, there's the time and the money, and but beyond that, I did not want to be in the position of having to diagnose people, air quotes, mm -hmm. and tell them, well, here's your your psychological diagnosis, and here's how you're broken, right. and here's how you're going, and here's how we're going to fix you, because about you know using the the 80 20 rule they're about 20 percent of the population who have you know of the of people who need assistance really need the assistance of a trained therapist or a psychologist or a psych or a psychiatrist let's say right mm -hmm. because their their troubles are really interfering with their activities of daily living or they are behaving in sociopathic ways or something like that mm -hmm. where they're they're mm -hmm. a danger to themselves or to society let's say right and those people need really professional help and what about the rest of us the other 80 percent of us who are walking around in in some level or another of injury or distress or tumult from experiences that we had usually when we were kids, right? Mm -hmm. uh, primarily before 10 and commonly into or before adolescence. So you know, like childhood woundedness. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and, and pretty much that has happened to every one of us. It doesn't mean that we were abused. Many yes. times, many of these things are a result of unresolved or unrepaired confusion or just a, a, an experience of being humiliated or embarrassed in a context of, let's say, peers, and we don't know how to process that. Yeah, stuff happens in life. And, exactly. You know, you, that you're just kind of unexpected. Like I remember... 
um, one of the big ones for me was, is a, you know, an innocent situation, but it still is with me today. I had a, right. a, a friend, just in, in a very tight nutshell, when I was in first grade, and we were tight, man. We were, and we we were really good friends. And then one day he said he was moving, and I didn't even hear it. Didn't even hear it. And, you know, two months went by and I just couldn't hear it. And then one day at the end of the thing, we're getting on the bus and I'm like, and I'm saying, okay, I'll see you later. And he's like, Brett, you don't get it. And I'm going, what What are you talking about? I've never had anybody talk to me that way because I'm never going to see you again. And it, and it just hit me like a, you know, like a ton of bricks. I had completely tuned out this reality. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced as a little boy. Yeah. The people you care about can just disappear from yeah. your life. And it really, you know, it 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 really shook me. And, you know, uh, it, so there's an example of something that's nobody's fault. Exactly. <clears throat> but, but it still but, has a it still has it still an important has an effect. Because now there's, yes. there's a part of me that's like, oh, I don't want to get close to anyone because they can go away. Without that, and for me, it's like suddenly, right? they can go away. Yes, suddenly, you know? and that—that's a a really excellent. Thank you for sharing that, Brett. That's a really excellent example of the kind of injury or wounding, to use the mm. you know use the words lightly in air quotes. That right. right? I mean, these are not these these feel traumatic to us in the moment. Right. As adults, looking back on it from a from a perspective from an adult perspective, it doesn't. It seem it are. <clears throat> I don't want to say this. We would be like, well, yeah, this stuff happens, and so <laughs> why do we why do we get so upset about it? Like, why can't I get over it? Why am I still affected by it? And the answer to that largely is. In the moment when that when he said that to you, and that shock of the the reality of that came upon you, you didn't know what to do with that experience and the energy and the <clears throat> and the I'll use the word emotion in a in a psychological sense, right? Uh -huh. And the, the emotional energy, which in my vernacular, when I talk about emotion, it's, it's very tied into physiology. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the reason why I like the mindful coach method, because it's somatic. Oh, right. And so right? For, for, for listeners, the mindful coach method is a course that I wrote about mindful somatic coaching, which involves a lot of the things that we're talking about in terms right. of Hakomi and internal family systems is even there to a certain degree. Uh, so just so people know uh, that that's what you're talking about. So you, in that moment, if you if you can put yourself back in that place for in a you know for a moment, you can conjure up and reconstruct and reassemble the physiology for how that landed on you or landed for yeah. you. Yeah. And yeah. It, <laughs> no question about that. No, it's absolutely true. It's, and so there is, a, that's an indication to me 
Brett, that there is a part of you that still feels that the impact of that loss and that part in order for you to avoid in the moment when that happened because you didn't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. and there wasn't anybody there to help you process that you needed to do something with that energy which Mm -hmm. is the way your body was configured in that moment right your physiology and so some part of you held that in the expectation that a you would recognize a a risk like that again someday in the future and Mm -hmm. hopefully avoid it and b maybe someday have an opportunity to process that and discharge the energy and and find calm around that so that you can say yeah that happened and 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 it's a bummer and i'm sad about that (laughs) but i'm not but i'm not at the effect of it right well that's the the you know the a b scenario there the b is like the healing process the integration Mm -hmm. process and that takes work you know you have to kind of get present with your experience and go what's this all about and Mm -hmm. how crappy does this feel and and what's really true for me but and I that's, think more in the in the more immediate moment, like what happens is the organism of you know little Brett mm-hmm. has to adapt to this new reality, right? And and that's where these parts happen. That's where this part of me psychologically kind of splits off and says, "Well, I'm going to make darn." Remember, we started talking about the overprotective part, the part that's reactive, yep. and so that's where that part is born. It's kind of like, oh, I can feel someone getting close to me, and I'm going to resist that now because that's going to be painful later. Right. So in IFS, we refer, we, in generally speaking, in the model, if your if your system follows the the general pattern, what that would be is two parts. One part is the part that is holding on to that initial shock and pain. Yeah. And and has been yeah. sidelined in your system and we refer to that in IFS as an as an exiled part. Right. Right. John John Eisman used to call that the spirit in exile. Okay. And, uh, and so it's kind of and so that that's the part that gets into the body, gets into the soma, right. you know. And then there's mm-hmm. the other part that in order to in order to keep that injured part from from springing up and taking taking you over and maybe overwhelming you at times when you really don't want to do that have that happen we we create these corollary parts that we refer to in IFS as protectors yeah and the per, the job of the protector is to keep that wounded exile contained or as yes. some people say locked up right but at least contained right and the work of ifs in short is to bring the self the the core wisdom of us that's always there and always available and matures along with us mm-hmm. to bring that core self and that self energy to the scene and 
and first request and receive permission, because that's very, very important, to request yes. and receive permission from the protector part to for the protector to give us space to yeah. go and and interact with that exiled part and help to heal that exiled part so that that part isn't doesn't feel that wounding anymore yeah. and when all of this happens and it all works normally those parts can resume their normally valuable roles in your system or in our system which is usually the these are usually the parts of us that are really carrying our juice of life our love and mm -hmm. our and our mm -hmm. and our interest and compassion and and the the things that that really light us up that we've that we've uh, set aside or locked away and that's that's a sad thing when that happens no totally now all this is it sounds you know, amazing, and I've seen this kind of work happen beautifully in, in, in a just sort of slightly different frame of in a Komi. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But my question to you, though, is like, how do you distinguish between this and and is that work straight up coaching or is that work therapy or do you have a, a philosophy around that? Like, how how do you differentiate someone that using IFS in a therapeutic mode versus a coaching mode? Let me think about that for just a moment. The when we are properly trained in IFS, right? Because and I've been learning IFS for I think it's about seven years now. So I'm not new to this. Um, and I'm also bringing other skills with me that that I learned right. mm -hmm. a long time before that. And that matters because I needed I need to show up in a particular this is IFS is not it's much less a protocol than it is a flow. And sure. there there are <clears throat> there are hard points to it, of course. But the in order for us to to do the work well, we need to do the work on ourselves so that we, so that I can show up with sure. a sufficient, with sufficient self energy myself to hold the space. Mm -hmm. Now, in saying that, <clears throat> to help answer your question, what Dick Schwartz recommends for us is to even as coaches is to get it's it's perfectly fine for us to get to know the protector parts and to befriend them and to mm -hmm. get to understand them and what their story is it's doing the next deeper stage which is really accessing the the wounded exile part exiled parts yeah. mm -hmm. that gets more into a domain that might be thought of as therapy. And for coaches who are really skilled with IFS and who are well-trained in it, we can do that because we understand the whole flow and, and the proper ways to access those more wounded parts and allow them to express themselves in a safe context and maintain 
that psych that that container of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. So it depends uh, roughly, really, on the the degree to which the person. I in my answer to your question, I think is, it really depends on the degree to which the person is being, uh, their activities of daily living, are being. Mm-hmm. Uh, impacted negatively by the intensity of these experiences mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's that is not a so it's not a, a cut and dried answer exactly <clears throat> pardon me no i understand what you mean okay. it's it's like if someone comes to you it's it's almost like what their intent are they coming to you with uh the intent to have you help them um you know be better, be more skillful in interviews or not choke up whenever they get uh, take quizzes or exams or, you know, what, whatever their, their thing is. Or mm-hmm. are they coming to you with some something a little more fundamental, like, you know, oh, I'm deeply depressed and I, right. you know, I need a way out. Right. Um, and so it's sort of almost like, you know, in one world, you're clearly waiting in the swamp of, of, of woundedness. And yep. in another case... Might be able to help somebody like working with what what you mentioned. I liked in terms of helping people explore the protectors provides a doorway to this more what you call the exile part, this exile spirit. Yep. Um, and 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 the relationship between the the coach and the client at that moment do, is a coaching decision. Do you dive into the more wounded part or Correct. do you stay in a more resourced part? And right. To me, that's that's how I make a distinction. It's like and in the mindful coach method, the the approach is to um bias, if you will, uh, or have a preference for facilitating towards resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. And so that's just my own spin on it. The it is available for well-trained coaches to flow through the the whole IFS protocol. It doesn't require a therapist. Mm-hmm. My the distinction for me really comes in a in an in initial conversation with a person to find out how impacted as a another way of saying what i've been saying another right. way, how how severely impacted are they so you right. give the example of a person who is seriously depressed and is not you know can't get out of bed and can't live their life or that kind of an issue that really that really calls for the an experienced therapist or even a psychiatrist Mm-hmm. Uh, even though there are plenty of IFS therapists who will take that on and and use IFS in those contexts, absolutely, that's not a that's not a place where I feel uh, where I feel qualified to mm-hmm. to bring my skills. Sure, I understand what you're saying. I'm just trying to kind of frame this in because it's a it's mm-hmm. a really big question in terms it's of huge. what's the. You know, what's the difference between coaching and therapy? You know, we could talk about that for a billion years. Right. And then particularly when we're talking about, because, um, you know, you're talking about bringing IFS practices and principles into a coaching context. 
in a similar way, like I've been bringing mindful somatic work from Makomi and other methods as I've, I've said it into a coaching context as well. Correct. And so helping clarify all that I think is just serving the greater good for the coaching community everywhere. So how do people connect with you uh, that, to explore, like, you know, what's this about? How's this working for them? How would they find you? Well, people can find me at my uh, at my website, it, which is Rocky Mountain Calm, C-A-L-M, RockyMountainCalm.org. Or if you if you want to find out really what my story is, uh, <laughs> the the greatest information about me, the most information is actually on my LinkedIn page, there you go. which you can find at you know either LinkedIn. Uh, look up Richard Tashma, or you can go to Richard Tashma, T-A-S-H-M-A dot com slash LinkedIn, and it'll link you there. Perfect. That's so great um, to have that out there. And I would encourage people to check in. I know um, from some people who have worked with you and they, and they love the work. So uh, I would just would like to say thank you so much for showing up and for your support of the Mindful Coach Association and for the work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. And uh, this has been a really fun conversation for me personally. And I hope um, I hope people out there will reach out and explore their own inner family system. It's really a delight being here with you, Brett. I very much appreciate it. I thank you for inviting me, and I'm honored to uh, to share this with the with the audience. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Oh, and if you want to, and hey, to those people out there, if you want to actually hang out with uh, me, Richard, and others, uh, other amazingly other coaches who are also who are skilled no one to say i'm amazingly skilled but i know a lot of coaches who are and if you want to hang out with them uh join the mindful coach association and and come to our community meetings because that's where we are and it's a really good time and you know that brings up a good point that i have a i'm really proud of my profile my <laughs> at the mindful coach association i've I really thought oh, about okay. that. So you can find that's another place where you can find out about me is that's right. Is, uh, you can go to richardtashman.com slash MCA, Mindful Coach Association, MCA, and it'll take you to my profile. Oh, that's cool. Nice, and, nice uh, reader. Right? Yeah. So and, uh, you go, go to mindfulcoachassociation.com and just type in Richard and his profile will come right up there. Excellent. Thank, Thank you, you everybody. Thank you, Richard. We'll talk soon. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer, teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.